श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए ऐसी भक्ति वेदांत स्वामी प्रभुपाद की जाए हरिनाम प्रभु की जाए कोई भक्ति बिंद की जाए कोई प्रेमानंदे गुड इवनिंग दिस मॉर्निंग वी स्पोक अबाउट शरणागति सो This evening, I thought we could speak a little bit about that, which corresponds with Sharanagati, which is Shraddha corresponds Shraddha, faith, faith. We spoke about Sharanagati in terms of its being a very active expression of Shraddha, bringing a very kind of abstract, intangible, as it's often perceived, topic. faith into the concrete practical and uh how it's mobilized activated and cultured so the two are very similar one begets the other one comes from the other one expresses the other as we said this morning the call of the gita the clarion call of the gita the flute sound of krishna as bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur described the concluding verse of the gita sarvadharman purtyajya mamekam sharanam braje is a call to begin in a practical way that which krishna says is underscores is the conclusion of the gita manmano babamad bhakto madhyaji mam namaskru underscores because he said it in the ninth chapter and in the 18th chapter he's saying it again just become my devotee this is my message think of me offer homage unto me and so forth so how to begin that he says sarvadharman purityaja forget every other god forget about that every other obligation and you'll be released from any reactions for doing so by taking shelter of me coming to me so coming to me that means the very life of bhakti and of the gita leads us into the bhagavatam which is the life and love story of bhagwan so the flute sound of krishna it's a beginning the gopis heard the sound of krishna's flute it was beginning in a formal sense because they loved krishna and krishna subsequently showed his love for them prem will come in the devotee for krishna and then krishna will show his prem for the devotee fully so gopis we know from the prakat leela the manifest leela they fell in love with krishna by hearing about him seeing his picture hearing his name this is called purvarag it's a kind of viparamba a kind of separation that in if we say in english makes the heart grow fonder this is the entryway into prem that's why simon mahaprabhu was referred to by the great merciful prabhupad bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur as viparamba murti we talked a little bit this morning about how he shows the way so this is another way in which he shows the way to prem through the low tide of the ocean of love of god in separation there's entry there before the waves of union get 
too high. And although it applies to our life as sadhakas also, in the attainment of prem, it also it becomes more relevant at this point through purvarag, then in separation, union becomes possible, and other types of separation in union, and, and so on and so forth. Now, Mahaprabhu showed this, of course, in his Shikshastakam when he said, Yugaitam Namishena, Chakshusha Pravishaitam, Shunyaitam Jagatsarvam, Govindavirahename. So, gopis, they had love for Krishna. And there was some slight indication that he might love them as well. When he danced on the heads of Kaliya, who was quite young at the time, he, he was chastising Kaliya. That was a great spot for sporting along the Jamuna that Krishna had been restricted by Malia Soda from going to because of the rumors about Kaliya poisoning that area so extensively. Even birds that flew over would fall dead, owing to the fumes of that envious Kaliya's poison. So Krishna had in mind to go there. He went on Balaram's birthday, a day, of course, that Balaram would be left behind to observe the various rituals surrounding the birth celebration. Thus he was free from the protection of his older brother, who had been warned by Malia Shoda, don't let him go near that Kaliya Lake, whatever you do. So off he went, of course. Mischievous and daring, bold youth that he was, child that he was. And and when he arrived there, then the cowherds died. They died from seeing what? Their cows die. The cows drank, they died. The boys died. And Krishna revived them, jumped into the lake and sent inauspicious signs throughout the brudge as he became wrapped in the coils of Kaliya. Balaram came to the rescue of all of the inhabitants whose life was leaving them at the signs that they could understand were indicative that something inauspicious in a big way had happened. And because their minds in love were all upon Krishna, they related it to him. He must be in a jam. Balaram could understand there's no problem for Krishna, but just see the problem for all these devotees that he's caused, that mischievous younger brother of mine. So he gave them some courage and took them to the lake. But even when they arrived there, even though he knew there was no problem, seeing Krishna in that condition was even problematic for him. But Krishna, of course, released himself from the coils of Kali and he began to dance on his many heads. And that dancing, what has it been compared to in the literature? It's been compared to the to the Rasa dance that was soon to come, uh, just ahead in his lila. <coughs> so, in effect, at that time, the gopis were also present. They could. He was dancing for them to see, show them what kind of a dancer I am. Just see, this way, some subtle indications <coughs> that, as you feel for me, I feel for you. Dhenu Kasura was killed. This is the end of the Pogandalila. Krishna is changing from a youthful lad into an adolescent, from Poganda to Kishore. Krishna fully expresses himself as a Kishore. Love is fully expressed at this age. 
So at that time it's mentioned in Bhagavatam. Upon returning, that 15th chapter of the 10th canto, that is a summary of the whole Pogandalila of Krishna. It comes to an end, he returns from the forest, and it's mentioned that there was an exchange of glancing between the gopis and Krishna, as if to say, yes, I feel like you do about me, but still, it had not been confirmed fully. Then, of course, there's this month, Agrahayana, and then, and the uh, Gopi Vastraharana Lila. They went to pray to get Krishna as their husband. They did a vow. They bathed in the Jamuna every day. And it's a cold month, even in Vrindavan. Krishna came, some friends stole the clothes and so forth, tested their faith, made them naked before him. We'll have to come like that. Like, I think it was Bob Dylan said, even the President of the United States sometimes has to stand naked also. <laughs> so, we have to come naked before God, bear our soul, so to speak. So they did that. And Krishna said, okay, in the future, in the near future, we'll, what has been done here, unofficially, and in our own way, unknown to anyone else, a marriage of sorts, unofficially. I will consummate that relationship with you in the near future. Just be patient. And that came, of course, then. And Sahar Purnim Ras Lila, he played the flute, and they came, all of them, including Radha. So they heard the flute sound of Krishna, and they came. Although there was something building before that, as I say, this was the formal acknowledgement of it. They heard the flute, and they went. And they dropped everything. Each one heard their own name in the note sound, the sound of Krishna's flute. They didn't know anyone else was going. They just went. When they met everyone else there, they understood, this is our group. This is, you never know who you'll meet at the lotus feet of Gopinath. So they all met. The relationship was consummated there. So this is the flute sound of Krishna calling us to begin. This is how initiation takes place in the Leela. So what we do now, that will take place there also. Like we do Artik here, we do this Seva Puja, we talked a little bit about deity worship this morning. This all goes on in the Leela also, a little differently. Same thing is going on. So initiation is going on. So this kind of ritualistic worship, this is, I like to call it the realm of ritual. It's a meeting between the spiritual and the mundane, where we can get some standing, and in a symbolic way, we can worship and perform all the activities that are going on in a spontaneous and natural way, without the encumbrances of symbols and so forth in the Leela. It's not a separate thing what I mean to say, but it's a way of getting some footing there. The deity altar is like a still picture of the motion picture of Krishna Leela. It's the yoga pit, the meeting place, the place from which the deity's Leela expands. And devotees will come and meet there several times at designated times throughout the day and pay regard to their Acharya, Gurudev, accept some service from him in the service of Radha Gopinath. 
some direct service. There the Lord is situated at the yoga pit with all of his associates. And one of those associates is our group. We can go there and they say, get some service from him, render some this way we go and do our other services and activities and come back again. And we'd all meet there. We remember why we come together, who we are. This is a kind of a meditation on a, like a still picture of the motion picture of Krishna. And when it's done appropriately and properly in, in time and so forth, krame, krame, step by step, tenho bhakta seutam, one becomes advanced. And the still picture becomes a motion picture. And it appears not only on the altar, but in the heart. In the localized form of, of the Lord, in the form of the deity, becomes universalized. We see him everywhere, in everything. This is full faith. Bhagavati Bhavan, Atmani Bhagavatam says, this is a full expression of faith. Who sees him everywhere, in everything. Faith in stages, and faith will determine our standing there. And faith, then, is the beginning, and faith is the middle, and faith is the end. Siddhamars like to refer to Goloka or Vaikuntha as the world of faith, planets of faith, where there's no doubt. So, when there's no doubt, then you can move freely, uninhibitedly, happily, with confidence. So it's the beginning. Sarvadharman prajaja mamikam sharanam saranagati. Krishna's saying, surrender, have faith. He's saying the same thing. In me, not in anyone else, says your maintainer. Come to me and I'll protect you. But faith dips below that, of course, as well. This is divine faith. This is coming from the initiation the confirmation that comes at initiation, the flute sound of Krishna. They came, of course, gopis and Krishna even tested them, didn't he? What are you doing here in the middle of the night? You're girls. You shouldn't come here. And I'm a brahmachari, for that matter. <laughs> and there are many wild animals in the forest here. It's a dangerous place. What were your elders saying? Don't you have other responsibilities and duties and so forth? In so many ways, he tested them, didn't he? And then they responded in so many verses, turned all his words around and understood the inner meaning of them. Well, apparently he was rejecting them. They could understand. Actually, he wants us to stay here. So they responded accordingly, and then this way the relationship was, was consummated. This is the high point of the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It builds up to this point in the Brajalila, and then... It moves on from there through the killing of Keshi and then Krishna goes to Mathura and Dwarka. And all this is reflecting back on that moment and the, the acme of that uh, loving relationship, shedding light on it, its significance. So this is the beginning. And as I say, it's also the middle and it's the end. It's a cultivation, Krishnanushiva, and the cultivation of, of faith. But faith has some expression beneath this also. This faith comes from where? From, from Sadhu Sangha. The faith in Krishna is born in the association of devotees. But there's faith beneath that. Therefore, Prabhupada sometimes used to say, this is not a faith. What he meant by that is, this is not just a sentiment. This is not just 
something coming from the mind, Krishna consciousness. This is not a belief. Let us distinguish, let's say, between use, by using these two English words, belief and faith. Belief would then be associated with the, with the mind, intellect, and faith, with the heart touched by sadhu and scripture, by the outreach of the absolute to us through revelation, scripture, through sadhus. This awakens divine faith. Beneath that we have belief. It's not entirely a bad thing. And it's very tangible. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes we think of it as some kind of an intangible. We think of it as a as a deviation, or some people do, from, from reason. Well, you can't reason. You just go to what you believe in. It's just your faith. Okay. We can dismiss you then. But... Um, as Prabhupada used to like to remark, everybody has faith. So Gita says the same thing. Krishna says in 17th chapter, what? Shraddhavan ayam purusha. A person is his or her faith. We are our faith. There it is mentioned in that verse, second verse of the 17th chapter, that his faith is born of sattva, it's born in the mind. Well, mind is what? We spoke a little bit about creation this morning how it manifests, the evolution of its manifestation based on desire, how based on desire, material nature and necessity, perceived necessity on the part of the jiva, material nature reciprocates, and so the whole of the constituents of material nature, the elements evolve into the f form that we know it today. Of course, as we mentioned, a little different from... Darwin's idea, but in that explanation, that it's called Sankhya, as one of the great systems of philosophy that as a whole we don't accept, but elements of it are incorporated into Bhagavatam, Gita, Vedanta, and so forth. So the kind of evolution, really, is what it means, of things. So mind is a transformation of ahankar, false ego, and satpaguna. With this combination, what we call mind manifests. So it's a transformation of sattva-guna. Sattva-guna is, psychically speaking, it gives clarity. Physically speaking, also, it, it, it is that by which material things make themselves known. It's a kind of uh, illumination. Interesting. Just as there are other aspects to all forms of matter besides the fact that they make themselves known, they're intelligible by the influence of sattva. So they are, they, they, they move also. They have uh, some movement. Everything's moving. This is rajas and, and everything's not moving or resisting moving. moving. That is uh, inertia. So something like that, sattva, rajas, and tamas. And then psychically speaking, which is the subtle form of material nature, these influences are also present. Sattva giving illumination, intelligibility, clarity. Rajas is about progress, but material progress. It's about self-improvement. And Thomas is, is about not improving, going backwards even. So, the Shraddha, Faith, as it's called there in Gita, 
is a manifestation of mind. It is born in the mind. So it's of the nature of sattva. So as I say, it's not all bad. Therefore, the sense that people have that faith is universally good. Oh, you believe in something. That's good. Sometimes we'll say, well, wait a minute. What you believe in, that, that may not be so good. That's true, too. But still, there is value in believing and having faith because it enables one to, to move, to go forward. It affords illumination, some clarity. Without faith, then, we're suspended. Suspicion leads to suspension. Suspended animation, not a good idea. <laughs> so, the sense, as I say, that shraddhas is good. There's some truth to that. But all of this kind of faith, which I like to call belief, this while essentially of the nature of sattva, is tinged by rajas, tinged by tamas, as it manifests in the heart of the jiva. So, as Krishna replies to Arjuna there, well, people who have faith that's not born from scripture and saintly association, their position is that their faith is a product of the modes of nature. So this kind of belief, if you will, that won't afford us transcendence, comprehensive knowing, full happiness, some happiness. If you don't have any faith, then your condition is quite lamentable. You see this value, right? Faith is life. You understand me? Very practical, even in a material sense. If you have no faith in anything, you have no impetus to act, to do anything, to live. That's the value of faith. So we are only taking a universal principle and then examining the fullest ramification of that. And in doing so, we, we end up in the life of Vrindavan. We end up as an Uttamadikari. This is the idea. So if there is faith that is born of the modes of material nature, then if we have the, the fortune, the luck, the good fortune to associate from, with something beyond the modes of nature, where is that coming from then? Material life is a, like planets of doubt. No doubt. We are hesitating. And we have little faith in that enables us to go forward. But that faith is, is not full. It's only a manifestation of the modes of material nature. And it may change as the influence of the modes changes and so forth. It's comforting to some extent, but not entirely comforting. So as faith is a life in material existence, it is what has value in material existence. It animates us. It animates the world. So that world that is fully animated and fully alive, fully conscious, that is the world of faith, planets of faith, and we are in the planets of doubt. So if we get some association from that side, then there's a chance for that kind of faith to be born in us. And this is then the beginning of our spiritual sojourn. It begins with that, with that contact, that kind of faith. And there's a sense when it dawns as to what it is, what its potential is, that this faith, that simply by taking shelter of Krishna, my life will be perfect. It gives immense hope. Isn't it? It overshadows any other prospect. And I immediately want to dive there in the ocean of that, and bathe in that, drown in that, that sense to go immediately. 
but we are held back by the modes of nature, still operative upon us. But by that good association from which it comes, that faith, if we keep that, it can grow. When that kind of faith dawns, then we are called a beginner. We call Kanishta, Kanishta Adhikari. Mahaprabhu said, Jahan Komal Shraddha, Kanishta Adhikari, John. Those people whose faith that is born of Shastra and Sadhu Sangha, these two are inseparable. Because the Sadhu, he speaks, she speaks, and in doing so, represents the Shastra, explains the Shastra, brings the Shastra to life for us, applies it practically. It gives us access to understanding it in a way that's relevant to us. How suddenly a book on the shelf has so much more meaning, even if it already had meaning, it has so much more meaning. Sridhamaraj, Pujapad Sridhamaraj used to say, the Shastra is the passive agent of divinity, and the Sadhu is the active agent of divinity. He can or she can go after us and ask, so do you understand? Yes, Maharaj. What did you understand? And make sure that you understand. Book can't do that. But these two go together. It's like a happy family, like Veda Mata and Guru Pita, something like that. They're, they're, like, they're like wedded together. And these will never be divorced. Hmm? There's an apparent divorce only in Braj, but it's not real. Really, it's the true union of, uh, the true understanding of scriptures. The fullest expression of scripture is manifest there. So, by that association, we have a beginning in this, in divine faith. Yahan komal shraddha, konishta adhikari jan, krame krame teho bhakta se utam, Mahaprabhu said. This is a beginning, it's called komal shraddha. Who has this is konishta adhikari. His shraddha is komal, means tender. It lacks something. But, he says, krame krame teho se bhakta se utam. That bhakta, who's a kanishta, who's a neophyte, who's a beginner, whose faith is tender, krame krame, krame means step, step by step, he or she can become an uttam bhakta. Now, so, we want to know, what's the secret to that? How faith can grow from komal, tender, to firm. There's a second class devotee, madhyamadikari, echoing bhakti rasamita sindhu, I should say, describing that which gave rise to the echo of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, explaining to Sanatana Goswami, or I should say, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, telling us what Mahaprabhu said to Sanatana Goswami, what Mahaprabhu said to Rupa Goswami. And then we find those verses in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, in Vrihat Bhagavatamrita, and all these books and so forth. There, Mahaprabhu said to Sanatana Prabhu that. Shastra yukti nahi dridha shradhavan madhya madhikari se bhagyavan. There is another class of devotee, and his standing, her standing, is determined by the same thing that the neophyte's standing is determined by. What is that same thing? Shraddha. But that shraddha is fortified. It's strengthened. He says, Dridha Shraddhavan. The Madhya Madhikari has firm faith. 
but there's something that he or she is lacking. Shastra Yuktenahi. That class of devotee doesn't have full knowledge of the scripture. Beginner has weak faith. Bhagavatam speaks about this also. Bhagavatam says, Archayan evohadaye pujam yashodhayehate. The beginning devotee has faith in Krishna. How does it manifest? That devotee engages in the worship of the deity. But this verse also says uh, that na bhakta. But that devotee doesn't have faith in the devotee, even though he's a devotee. <laughs> he doesn't have much faith in the devotee. He sees God, it means, in the deity, but he doesn't see God in the Vaishnav. Now, the classic example will be that the, the, the devotee is giving the discussion, leading a discussion on scripture, and then somebody comes in and pushes everybody aside and makes a bit of a commotion and, and puts a rupee in the box for the family standing there <laughs> and walks out. <laughs> right? You may have seen it. But it carries us a little further than that also into our lives also. The extent to which we don't have faith in the devotee. We don't put more regard, have more regard for the advanced devotee than the deity. This is a very interesting concept. More regard for the advanced devotee than for the deity. Not equal, not less, but more. I've often said, why do we bow down before the deity? What's the answer? Because the sadhu told us to. The Vaishnava said, here's God, you should bow down here. So we're doing that. So where is God? You see, it's in the heart of the Vaishnava. In bringing the theory of Bhagwan into the realm of the practical, he's more present there than in the deity. This is a very uh, kind of uh, revolutionary idea. I mean, the Protestants, you know, they did away with the priesthood altogether to get closer to God. And we're teaching in a largely Protestant country, especially in the South here, I would imagine, that the devotee, the priest, is more important than God. I don't know if they go that far. They, they, they do acknowledge the need for the intermediary, but I don't think they go quite that far. But we go over the top there. But do we, in our lives, in our own thinking, how eager are we for uh, sadhu sangha, for association with advanced devotees? And especially, they may be commissioned by our own Gurudev to, to be a sannyasi and preach and do the things that he, that he expected. At least, he's trying to be a sadhu by following what he's been told to do. Something noble in, the, in that, I would think. But how interested are we in that? So this is be quite frank with you, this is this is symptomatic of what we call Komal Shraddha, Kanishtadikari. And there is no hope for that Kanishtadikari, for advancing. Because the very way to advance, Mahaprabhu has taught, from Komal Shraddha, from tender faith, is to associate with those whose faith is firm. Dridha Shraddhavan. Madhya Madhikari, Shastra Yukinahi. He's lacking 
comprehensive understanding of Shastra. But his or her Shraddha, that is Dridha. So that, that cannot be shaken. And what will be a, a significant expression of that Shraddha, that faith, that he or she will always want to take advantage of association of advanced devotees. The advanced, it's not that the advanced devotee doesn't think, he's just saying, you should advance, you should want to associate with advanced devotees. He's saying that he wants to associate. We, Narottam Thakur, we always sing a nice song on the disappearance day of the Acharyas, sung by Narottam. Is Narottam an advanced devotee? Narottam Thakur. And what does he sing? Oh, my misfortune. I don't have the association of all these devotees, Rup, Sanatan, Kaviraj, Krishnadas, Raghunath, they've all left. I would be better off beating my head against the stone, throwing myself in the fire. Hmm? This is how he's feeling. So you see, he has full faith. Therefore, he thinks, ah, the, the devotee's association is more important than Bhagwan. Bhagwan's more manifest there. This is a Chinda Veda Veda. Bhagwan, Krishna, who is that? What is that? That corresponds with the heart of the devotees. Where is Krishna? Standing next to Radha. He can never go away. Really. That means he can never even manifest four arms. He cannot be anyone else before her. He got that far with other gopis to be someone else, to be Narayan, to be Vishnu for a minute. When in the Vasant Rasalila, the springtime Rasalila, he left, hid in the bushes, then came out, showed four arms. And what did they do? They paid obeisances. They said, can you tell us where is Krishna? God. Oh, dear God, show us the way to Krishna. But he, when he tried to show four arms before Radhika, he couldn't do that. So, you understand my point? Therefore, very clearly, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita teaches us what? That Radha and Krishna are one and different. The whole of the Achinti Veda Veda is explained there in the fourth chapter of Adi Lila. Radha Krishna Pranai Vikutiladini Shakti Rasmat Ekatmanov Api Bhuvi Pura Deham Vedogatoto Chaitanyaktyam Prakatam Adunat Tadvayam Chaikam Aptam Radha Bhava Duti Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Swarupam. This is Achinti Veda Veda Tattva. Krishna is one. He eternally becomes two. The two eternally become one. Krishna is one, but what is the value of sugar if it cannot taste itself? So in order to taste himself, sweetness within himself, he manifests as Radha. And so this makes for reciprocation. The two become one. The one becomes two. The two become one as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And it's all explained there. So the point being what? That love of Krishna and Krishna are one. We say, what is the goal, Bhakti? Is it Krishna? We say, no, it's love of Krishna. Krishna Prem. But then again, there's no difference between Krishna Prem and Krishna. If you don't have Krishna Prem, you don't have Krishna. If you have Krishna Prem, you have Krishna. Tied up. Like Mother Yasoda. He's tied up. Cannot go anywhere. So Krishna is appearing in reciprocation with the hearts of the devotees. You see, Krishna, Radha Thakurani is the full expression of his Swarup Shakti, Ladini. 
And when this Swarup Shakti comes in the heart of the devotee, then Krishna has relationship with that devotee. That means he shares his love with the devotee. He places that love in, in, in the devotee's heart. Then it expresses itself in a particular way. Krishna appears in a way that corresponds. So there's love of Krishna and Krishna are one and different. So again, the value of the association of devotees and these advanced devotees like Narutam Thakur, they're not thinking differently. They're not thinking that seeking the association of advanced devotees, that's for the Komal Shraddhas, the neophytes, not for us advanced devotees. We're there with Krishna. No. The experience of Krishna is not a singular experience. It's a plural experience. To experience Krishna means to experience the Surup Shakti of Krishna. If we're coming in the proximity of Krishna, and then we're naturally becoming poetic about that and singing about that, then there will have to be mention of all these things that are close to Krishna. Because if you're close to Krishna, that will come into view. That means Jashoda, Nanda Maharaj, all of his associates. As Prabhupada used to like to say, Krishna is not alone. It's a very simple way of making a very profound point. Krishna is not alone. The experience of Krishna is not you and Krishna. No. The guru doesn't become less important in Krishna Leela. Like when Prabhupada went in 1977, he bathed in the Ganges, remember you remember? At Mayapur. Then Bhavananda Maharaj lent his hand to pull him out. Then Prabhupada came onto the shore and pulled his hand away like that. And Bhavananda went back. And Prabhupada said, This is my award. The guru pulls him out, then they throw away the guru. This is their idea. You understand? Guru disappears in a Nirvisheshvad, and so does Bhagwan, for that matter. No. Guru becomes more important. We think, I remember when I heard it, I thought, wow, what could be more important than that? And there's something more important than that. Sakshad Hoditvena, Samasta Shastra. All the Shastras, they tell us, Sakshad Hoditvena. That the Guru is Sakshad Hodi. I remember <coughs> standing there next to Prabhupada's Vyasa in Los Angeles, and he said, so, the Guru is the incarnation of Krishna's mercy. So, so profound to hear that. I'm standing next to him. And Sakshad Haditena, Samasta Shastra, it's, it's a unified voice. Samasta Shastra, it's not a voice here or there that, well, it could be interpreted that way. No, uni- in a uniform <coughs> way, throughout all the Shastras making this point. Sakshad Haditena, so I thought, what could be more important than that? God has come to me in this way in this form, in a, in a local way, to deal with me. What could be more important? And, to my surprise, I found there's something more important. Kintu Prabhorya, Priyavatasya, the next line. But, he's also dear to Krishna. He's Krishna, directly, Sakshadhadi. But he's also dear to Krishna. Why is that more important? Because, when we recognize that Krishna is coming to us as the Guru in that form, and we pay attention, therefore, more there than anywhere else, how can we pay attention to Krishna more anywhere else when he's come to us in that form, in a tailor-made way, so to speak? When we understand that point and pay attention, then what happens? Then, kintu pravorya priyavatasya. We understand that he is dear to Krishna and how he's dear to Krishna. Krishnanandaya dimahi. Gurudevaya vidmahi. We should try to understand the Guru, Tattva, 
Guru's Tattva Bhagwan and Krishnanandaya Dhimahi, which have tried to assist him in his Ananda, in his role as a devotee to Krishna, in his love for Krishna. And we shall follow in the wake of that love, that Anandaya, Krishnanandaya, that love, Gaurpriyanandaya, how he loves Krishna, how he loves Mahaprabhu, follow in that way, assist in that. This is from Guru Gayatri, same idea as Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur said. So that is even more profound. That takes us into the Leela itself there, that idea. This expression of Gurudev. So, so important. Guru, sadhu, advanced devotee, diksha guru, shiksha guru, whoever can help us, who is kind enough to help us. Try to think of it like that. To what extent we are resisting kindness, generosity, coming from that side. Oh, yes. I heard someone say not long ago, it's just coming to mind, forgive me, but. Sridhar Maharaj, yes, he's a pure devotee, but he's not qualified to be an acharya. These kind of statements, they they don't make any sense. You understand? He's not qualified to lead us. He may be pure, but not quite to give us any guidance. And I'm not saying you have to take guidance from him, but the point is that, that some people are kind enough to offer guidance and they're qualified to help us. If we're healthy, we'll be leaning in a direction, and then we'll find it in so many places. Find so much help. It's available. This tendency, we are some scar for this, should come in us to seek good association. And, you know, we all have our guru, so we want to follow our guru strictly, and then someone else comes along, he's kind of a guru too, and he says it a little different, and so we all get mental about that and how to deal with that. You have to be grown-up people a little bit and able to distinguish what's relative and what's absolute and take advantage of the good and whatever. My Guru Dave told me to do it like this and he's saying do it like that. But in principle, I see that he's talking about the same thing. So I'll take what I got from here and do it the way my Guru Dave said. And practically, this kind of thing. You have to put all that, all that together. You have to be somebody. This is not about, you know, for letting someone else do the thinking for you. That's not what spiritual life is about. To stop thinking, that takes a lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. To think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of discrimination. Madhyam is characterized by discrimination. While that Kanishta is characterized by his faith in the deity and his or her lack of faith in the devotee, the Madhyam Adhikari, although lacking Shastra Yukti, scriptural knowledge, has firm faith and thus likes to keep the company of advanced devotees. He's characterized by discrimination. Yakaroti samadhyama. Ishvadetaradineshu balisatshu drisatshu cha. Prima maitri kipo peksha. Yakaroti samadhyama. Who's a madhyam? Mahaprabhu said, Bhagyavan, very fortunate person. Who's dridha shraddha? Bon. His faith is fixed, even though he doesn't understand the Shastra comprehensively. How is he characterized in Bhagavatam? By four things, four kinds of discrimination. Like this Kanishtadikari, who worships the deity, and in that way cultivates love of God, he does that also. Ishvare means God. 
he worships God. Ishvare and Prem. Ishvare Tadadineshu Balisatsu Dishatsucha. Prema Maitri Kripo Piksha. Four ways are listed in the second verse with regard to how he interacts with four things in, in the first line of the verse. Ishvari means God. He cultivates Prem for God. So he worships the deity. And Prema Maitri. Maitri means friendship. So Ishvari Tadadineshu. He makes friends with other devotees who are uh, similar. And, and he tries to keep the company of advanced devotees. as a tendency for that. And then innocent people, he preaches to them. He tries to help them. And people who are envious, then he doesn't go there. Don't invite me, I don't go. Fine. He avoids them. Prema Maitri Kripo Peksha. So Prema... He develops prem for the Lord. He cultivates friendship with the devotees and a tendency to associate with advanced devotees. He gives kripa to the innocent people and upeksha. He avoids the people who are envious. So he means his life is characterized by discrimination. What kirtan he will go to? What kind of devotees are conducting the kirtan? Is it that Krishna Das, you know, who's a famous singer? He doesn't go to his concerts. No, he doesn't like the devotees. He avoids that. Might be good sounding music, might be the same mantra, but it's just the syllables. He has no faith even in Krishna, what to speak of devotees of Krishna. Not even the Kanishtadikari. So he, he, he discriminates in this way. If he knows a program is being conducted by advanced devotees, coming in Guru Parampara, then he likes to go there, hear that Kirtan, that Harikata. And again, He's mature and balanced enough to sort out how to take the good from that, how to sort out the absolute from the relative. Every guru gives the relative instructions for us. But then throughout the whole of the guru-tattva phenomena, the same absolute is, is, is coming to increase our faith and so forth. So the, the, the Madhyamadikari, he has not komal shraddha, but dridha shraddha, firm faith. And where is the faith coming from? He's lacking in Shastric understanding, but so what is he doing? He's cultivating that. Two things. He's cultivating knowledge of the scripture and the association of advanced devotees. And this is exactly what the Kanishta Adhikari is not doing. He or she is not reading the books, although he says, everything's in Prabhupada's books. Therefore, I don't read anything else. And Prabhupada's books are collecting dust on the shelf. He cannot speak and represent them in a comprehensive way and so forth. So much of this is going on. All just so many Prabhupadisms. Prabhupada said, Prabhupada, what was the meaning, what was the context, why he said, where it comes from. There's nothing that Prabhupada said that in one sense doesn't come from somewhere in our tradition. Right? That's what he taught. That's what made him uh, bona fide. So to, to trace that out, where are you going then? So this kind of tendency, but we don't even think about that. This is Madhyamadikari. And Uttamadikari, Shastra Yukti Su Nipunna. And Dridha Shraddhavan also. So he has what the Madhyamadikari has, Uttamadikari. He has Dridha Shraddha. 
firm faith, which the Kanishta doesn't have. And he has something else, too. What is that? Shastra Yukti Sunipun. Once uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur nicknamed Sridhar Marsh Shastra Nipun. Nipun means genius. And Sunipun means very genius. <laughs> like something like that. So, very interesting uh, way in which Mahaprabhu has phrased it. Shastra Yukti Sunipun. Archon said he asked me once, sometimes devotees, they have a lot of scriptural knowledge, and it's said that those who have comprehensive scriptural knowledge, they're Uttamadikaris, but we find sometimes that these guys know all kinds of quotes and things like that, but they turn out to be not to be very advanced. How do we understand it? I explained it in a different way at that time than I am now. That's called Shastra Nipun, <laughs> to be honest with you. That's called scriptural genius. To be able to, it means not just to know the scriptures and be able to quote them, but to be able to put them together in a dynamic way and have a, a genius about it, have a transcendental brain, so to speak. Because you can feel it, then you can understand it in so many ways and explain it and, and bring it to life. Be an active agent of divinity. Bring the passive agent of Shastra to life. So Shastra Yukti, Sunipur, he has a comprehensive knowledge. He's a, he's a scriptural kind of genius. Realization, it means, not just memorization. Shastra Nipun and Dridhashadha. So he has these two things. Mahaprabhu this person is then Uttamadikari. This can be found in Bhakti Rasamitya. When Bhagavatam says, that person, describe that person in another way. That person sees the same deity that the Kanishta Adhikari saw to the exclusion of the devotee in a way that obscured the devotee who is more important, as we've said, this is our philosophy, than the deity. He sees that deity everywhere. Sabhabhuteshu yapashad Bhagavan. Bhavam Atmanaha. In other words, the localized deities become universalized. We, you know, dress up and go to the temple and respect them, and then we go outside and do something else. But the Uttamadikari doesn't do that. He doesn't see the deity only in the temple or only in the devotee, but everywhere, in everything. It's an extended idea of the same principle of worshipping the devotee. He or she sees everything as if it's in love with Krishna. And therefore everything in that light becomes worshipable. So love of Krishna, this is what Krishna consciousness is all about. He sees everything loving Krishna, everything moving according to the will of Krishna, and therefore everything worshipable. Everything reminding him of his deity. Nothing has been tipped, it's gone over the top. Everything becomes Udipana. A, a stimulus for the love that's constantly there in the heart. It's constantly there in the heart, but certain things show themselves and then become a stimulus to take him over the top. That's what we call rasa. It rises in the ocean of, of bhava, reaches a peak and comes down and riding on this ocean of love of God. So for us to move from komal shraddha to dridha shraddha, these two things are necessary then. It's very simple. We have to embrace those things from which our Shraddha has come. 
If our shraddha is divine and it doesn't come like belief, as we talked about from the modes of material nature, it comes from Bhagavan expressing himself in relation to us. That means in the form of the sadhu and in the form of the scripture. Right? So to embrace these things, that's what will turn our homo shraddha into dhridha shraddha. And in the context of doing that, we become shastriyukti also. It means doesn't mean you become a big scholar. It means that you live in the, live in the scripture. You live a, I mean, it's big enough. What does Bhagavatam say? First canto, Nard spoke to Vyas. Speaking to Vyas himself, what did he say? He said, this Bhagavatam, or is it Vyas who said, anyway, it is, it is another creation. What is the word for creation? Hmm? No, not that word. No, that's a good one too. Another word. I can't remember. I'm not the Shastra in the memorized way. It says this Bhagavatam is another creation altogether. You know, Prabhupada's language is very poetic there. Meant to bring about a revolution in the impious lives of the world's misdirected civilization. It is another creation. I mean, think about it. Just because Prabhupada used to say, really paraphrasing this verse, one word, yasmin patishlokam, one shloka, one word, even if you just touch the book, it will create a revolution in your life. If that's so, if just touching it, then what to speak of reading it, studying it? What is that book? Tadvagvisargo is another creation. Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur said, Srimad Bhagavatam, that is a that is a like a Baikunta planet within the material world. Very interesting idea. To enter into that. You can it's big enough to live in the pages. And this will come. It's a land of faith. This is the land of the faithful. It's a description of the Ashrai Tattva, as we discussed this morning, the supreme shelter. And it, it expresses that most completely in the tenth canto, where everyone is living in that shelter that is Vrindavan, at the shelter of Krishna. And so many Leelas to point that out. Health. They are full Sharanagatas. They mean they have full faith. So we should take advantage of that book commentaries on that book. Prabhupada says in, in his own commentary in the very first or second verse of Sumit Bhagavatam, how we should take advantage of the commentaries of others who have mercifully <coughs> written on Sumit Bhagavatam. So, the very things by which our Shraddha comes to us, we have to embrace those things, cultivate things, those things, develop a tendency for those things. That is how then our faith will become strong, like those whose faith is strong, and that's how we live in the Shastra, like those who live there. So don't be a Kanishtadikari. Don't remain there. Don't think, I got initiated. It's finished. I'm done now. The very word means only what? Beginning, right? It's a beginning. Big beginning, no doubt. And it will have a big finish. But there are some things that need to, to attend to that initiation in order to, for it to culminate in, in such a big finish, in Uttama finish. You know, it's not rocket science. This is real simple stuff here. These are really, really basic points.
if we embrace them, then very naturally and happily we'll make progress. Unfortunately, the times are such that such simple things are obscured by false arguments and so forth that do us out of the opportunity to grow, isn't it? And where do they come from? They come from belief. They come from the modes of nature. They don't come from the scripture. That's where they come from. That's where they don't make the people who have them happy and fulfilled. So try to associate with advanced devotees. That's why I came here, to associate with all of you. Any question? Yes. At the end of the Vihapagwa Tamrita, the mature Brahmin that's getting instructions from Gopal Kumar, he's listened to the whole thing, and he hasn't quite developed full fame. And at the end, Gopal Kumar puts his hand on his head, and from that, he becomes completely filled with fame to the highest degree. So, you know, that's a very unusual kind of transmission how can you that's contradictory how can you be qualified to get mercy no Sri uh, Rupa Goswami Prabhupada has explained that bhava can come in two ways by kripa by sadhana so there's no explanation for kripa that's the nature of it so it can come by the grace, the mercy of Bhagwan or a devotee, as possible, in a special way, without any sadhana. But you should not live your life like that any more than you should live your material life as if you were going to win the lottery and just waiting for that to happen. No. Really, it's both things. It's a combination of mercy and sadhana. Sadhana itself, the opportunity to perform that, uh, is, is an expression of Bhagwan's mercy for us also. So we should take the standard fare of mercy and not uh, expect something something more. But it might come. It's possible. Also, that section of Brihad Bhagavatamrita is meant to teach us that without the blessing of a devotee, even if you know everything in this, learn the Shastra, that you will not be successful. The blessing of the devotee, that is required. Therefore, yasya prasada, bhagavat prasada. It's meant to tell us that. It's meant to tell us that the, the really the proper approach, this is what the scripture tells us. So if you're reading it properly, you understand it's not an academic exercise. That's why Bhagavatam says, equates the two. Study of Bhagavatam and serving the person Bhagavatam. What is the verse? Nasta prayeshu abadreshu nityam bhagavata sevaya. Bhagavati uttamastoki bhaktir bhavati naishtiki. This is about naishtiki, nishta. When faith is qualified, and when it becomes firm, it's kind of like a second entry point. If faith is the beginning, then when faith is firm, on Arthur's being removed, it's, a, it's another beginning of sorts. And a certain decorum, then, is mandated at that stage. What is that? It's fourfold. Trinada-pisa-nichena-turoda-pisa-yishtana-amani-namanadena. This is nishta. Mahaprabhu says, now, when you chant, acting in this way, as you can, when the principle and arthas are removed, and your faith is steady, that will beget prem. This chanting in this way, that will, will bring you prem. Without that, you won't get prem.
You have to come to that state. This is an interim goal. So this, this nishta is also about intelligence. So study of the Bhagavatam. It's that you regularly study Bhagavatam. After all, Bhagavatam is quite logical. It's an explanation of Vedanta Sutra, which is a kind of logic of the scriptures, how the concordance of how the scriptures all work together and what they're saying. It's, you know, it's a diverse body of sounds, a jungle of sounds. So to make sense out of it all, tie it all together, this is what Vedanta Sutra is. And Bhagavatam is a commentary on that. So it will fix your intelligence, study of Srimad Bhagavatam. But in explaining this verse, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says what in Adi Leela? He says that there are two types of Bhagavata, the person Bhagavatam and the book Bhagavatam. As Prabhupada used to like to emphasize. So, we serve the book Bhagavatam and or the person Bhagavatam. Now, that's very interesting because we might think, well, it's, it's easier to serve the person Bhagavatam than the book because I've got to study the book and so forth. And that's, you know, I'm not a big scholar, so I'll just serve the devotee. Yeah, okay, you can do that. But, but we learn if what, serving the devotee, it's not an intellectual exercise, is it? That means studying the Bhagavatam, although you have to use your intelligence, it's not an intellectual exercise either. Because interestingly enough, when you use your intelligence to study the Bhagavatam, what happens is your, your intelligence gets a good thrashing. What does Brahma say? Mahaprabhu liked the verse so much. Jnane prayasya udapasya eva. This just thrashing the intellect and this ascending way of knowing that we are addicted to. We are addicted to, to trying to know on the strength of our intelligence. And, and that means to subject things to ourselves, our sense of self, put everything under the microscope of our intelligence and examine it and know it in that way. The nature of things, the nature of reality is such that it doesn't fit under the microscope of our intelligence. It's laughing at our intelligence while we think we are knowing it. We think we are, we're going inside the atom to understand what it is, what's it all about. And you just get lost there. A wave becomes a particle, becomes a wave, becomes... And how you look at it, consciousness, is, it's moving. It's, it's, this is really the message of the, of the Rishis. If you think that Copernicus you know, brought about a revolution when he said, look, and he was a bold guy to stand up against everybody and say, Although this may be your reading of the Bible, that the world is revolving around the earth, I say it's not, but the earth is revolving around the sun. That's a revolutionary. Now, nobody who believes in the Bible today believes that the world revolves around the earth, do they? But they used to, did you know that? They used to think like that. That means to say that as I said this morning, when something is demonstrated conclusively, if it contradicts what the Shastra says, we might want to think, maybe my understanding of what the Shastra is saying is, is not complete. Maybe I should relook at that and see how to... This is progressive. He said, the world is moving around the sun. This was like a heresy. But he demonstrated it. Everybody adjusted accordingly. It had been going on that way for some time. What is the Bhagavatam saying? Bhagavatam is saying is, everything's moving around you. Everything is orbiting around you, your consciousness. And you have a subjective view of, the, of reality and 
everyone has a subjective view of reality and how the, that subjective view influences the very thing that you're looking at, isn't it? What you look at is being determined, what it is, what it is, is being determined by you. This is what the Vedanta says. Therefore, and they don't too much, but if anywhere science is to look for something outside of itself, for understanding consciousness, they look to the Upanishads. They look to Buddhism, which comes out of the Upanishads, of course. What do the Upanishads say? That there is one thing in the world that most resembles God. And what is that, Steve? What in this world resembles God more than anything? Us, you, you, because you are consciousness. God is consciousness. Matter is very different. You do. So look to yourself. This is the kind of a, a beginning idea. Look to yourself. You will have to understand yourself as consciousness to understand God. Of course, it goes on from there. <laughs> but in that sense, we're giving a revolutionary idea. The world is revolving around you. And of course, you are part and parcel of God, and so on. So, what else? Oh, Maharaj. Um, you know about um, how the devotees to be honored even more than the TV. Um, couldn't there be, like, um, the other way around? It seems, like, say in ISKCON, the deities are always there. And now very few devotees come to see the deities or have darshan. Our temples are mostly empty, except, you know, for Sunday feast. But then when a sannyasi comes, then um, devotees will come and get together for that purpose. Or like, say, a Vyas Puja, it's usually a, a much grander celebration than even like um, John Masmi, you know, or in one sense, for the deities, anyway, like more preparations will be cooked for the guru. And um, is this like advanced devotees? Isn't it rather relative to our perception of who's an advanced devotee? Uh, it's not relative to our perception. I wouldn't say I mean, entirely as as, as to who's advanced. And there's a science to it, of course. And therefore, we when we speak about these things, we quote the scriptures and so forth. So there's a way of determining these things to some extent and um, so what is what is your point well like um, like sometimes someone could be a very advanced devotee even though they're not recognized by hardly anyone you know and they're not um, like you say being honored or but yet that association is very inspiring or exemplary or according to the scriptures you know we see this is an advanced devotee, someone who's, you know, always absorbed in service and glorifying Krishna, mm -hmm. and without material um, ambition, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my point is, could it be that sometimes we over-worship a devotee and neglect the deity, like the opposite? Well, yeah, again, the Komal Shraddha, the Kanishtadikari doesn't know the scripture very well, so they won't be able to discriminate between who's an advanced devotee and, and who's not. I'll give you an example. Um, I was, uh, well, about 10 years ago, I was invited to ISKCON's uh, Mayapur Festival. I mean, I hadn't been invited there in, in 20 years. I don't know how long it's been. I guess it was 95. 
and I think I I was asked to leave in 1984. So at any rate, I was invited there by some devotees for uh, who were on the GBC for something, and it happened to coincide with the opening of the Samadhi. And um, bless his heart, Ambarish Prabhu was there with a million dollars, you know, the donation that he gave to make it all all possible. Prabhupada's Pushpa Samadhi. And so <laughs> I was just standing on the balcony watching this, and Ambarish came in in a, in a nice car, and there was a garland and a kirtan for him, and the kirtan followed the car, and, and so on and so forth. And, and he was brought in as a dignitary before the deities, and there was a big to-do about it. And then um, on and the day, uh, well, that was the day before, and the, the day of the... Uh, opening, then Pujapad Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami, who just down the road on Mayapur, in Mayapur, who was a, a great uh, advanced devotee, godbrother of Srila Prabhupada's, who became a little prominent in his later years through some of his Western disciples. And I had good fortune of having his association. He, he was uh, a very advanced devotee. He came to observe the opening of the Prabhupada's Pushpa Samadhi, and um, you know he more or less had to fight his way through the crowd you know, to, to participate. I think he was a little more advanced than Ambarish, is my point. So sometimes we can't discriminate exactly who's advanced because we are not advanced. That's the problem. Kanishtadikari can't discriminate very well. So whoever was behind that, I don't think had the you know best. Discrimination, so we may do that sometimes. So therefore, you should know the scripture, know these things, so that you don't make those kind of mistakes. What else? You're talking about how in the Bible, Tom explains like the, the world and the, the universe is going on around us in a subjective way that we experience, in a way that we're centralized. But that's isn't that like. It goes on in spite of us as well. We really don't make a very good centralized point for all of us. No, the only point I'm making is that matter, the, the, the movement of the modes of nature, is dependent upon contact with the jiva. Let me give you an example. People have televisions. Those televisions are dependent upon viewers turning them on, right? That's pretty clear that you know, television has no life without the viewer. The viewer turns it on. In that sense, the television is dependent upon and moving around the viewer. But what happens, of course, is sometimes the viewer turns on the television and the television takes over the viewer's life, right? Mm -hmm. So we turn on the material nature as sparks of consciousness breathed into material nature. But individually, we are all small, so Material nature takes over our lives. Do you understand? So that's what you're talking about. <laughs> the fact that our lives are being taken over. We're hardly the center. Material nature is moving us here and there. And, and, and we think we're the doer. Prakriti kriyaman anigunai kamani sarvasa. We think we're the doer. But actually the modes are doing. But actually further, the modes cannot do without us being there in the first place. Also, we're a unit of will and consciousness, and we animate. We give, we lend our life to material nature, and it seems to be alive, and we lose our life as a result of it. 
You understand? So the world is moving around us in the sense that we are consciousness. I mean, we are like Vishnu's become many. The one become many. So this is a leela. We call it, it's called Srishti leela, the leela of creation. So Bhagwan becomes many in the form of the jivas, enters the world. So you have to remember, we are one with God and different. Not just different, but one also. And the world is moving around God, right? So to an extent it's moving around us because we are also consciousness. And that's the way in which he animates the world through us. Do you follow? That's the way he animates the world? Through us, yes. By glancing mm-hmm. on material nature as it's described poetically. The jivas are impregnated into the womb of material nature and this gives birth to the world, right? You follow? He's also there trying to save us from the problem of you know the TV taking of material nature taking over our lives, killing us. He expanded us out of joy, but then, oh, there's a problem. So then he becomes the savior. This is all Leela. Enters the world, gives the Vedas, so on. We're all involved in that. What else? It also seems like with false ego that, that that's the, um, the sense that everything does revolve around us. Just because we want to be like Krishna so that we have to have that sense because everything does revolve around Krishna. So we have that same sense. And, and until we become, I mean, that's, yeah. But the way in which we think the world is revolving around us is not the way in which it's revolving right. around us. It is, in another sense, but not in the way we think it is. <laughs> yes? Um, Marge, you're talking about living the Bhagavatam. It seems like many of the instructions in the Bhagavatam are um, completely of a different era, you could say, or um, would seem rather impractical to follow or implement in our life. You know, like um, the instructions on the ashrams that Krishna gave to Uddhava and Narada gave to Yudhisthira. And, um, you know, just living like, are there no torn clothes lying on the common road? And, you know, or, or just so many instructions and rituals to perform. And, and it seems like, um, are we really meant to um, try to embrace those as literally as possible and follow them? You know, like that's living the Bhagavatam. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I did say living in the Bhagavatam, but living the Bhagavatam is another way of talking about it, I suppose. Uh, I think, obviously, that you have to embrace the spirit of, of those things. And um, as much as they would be, that spirit would be applied in different times in a slightly different way, so it will be applied today in a somewhat different way than it was in times gone by. For example, I mean, we go to, again, the value of the sadhu, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur, Bhakti Thakur, Argurdev, giving a dynamic explanation of renunciation based on the, the idea of Rupa Goswami, which was never developed or expressed by Rupa Goswami as the way they expressed it, the concept of Yukta Bhairagya. While it's full of potential, to be expressed in different ways. They expressed it in a very simple way. Yugdhavairagya means don't give up things that are useful in the service of Krishna in the name of renunciation. So that means 
in ancient times or in times gone by, don't give up the garland. Don't give up taking prasadam. As the Mayavadis will, they say, that is all saguna. One day you'll put those beads down. Stop worshipping the deity. It's all sagun. You must come to the nirgun. So their idea is that these things should be renounced. Rupa Goswami says, no, these things shouldn't be renounced. They have utilization in the service of Bhagawan. Now that's a rather conservative explanation of the term yukta vairagya. Do you understand me? In comparison to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur riding in a motor car wearing patent leather shoes rather than walking barefoot and picking up torn clothes on the side of the road like Gorkashore Das Babaji Maharaj did. He lived like that. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsatakura didn't live like that, did he? But his life and his movement was based on the dynamic explanation of this principle, Yukta Vairagya. So he began engaging the printing press, and he called it the Rag Mark. Very revolutionary idea. So therefore we have Guru Parampara, and it goes on. <laughs> it doesn't stop at you know, some point, and, and we need that to apply the essence of the scripture in the times in which we live so that we can live within it. I mean, I, didn't, I don't have a suitcase full of tree bark. You know, that's not what I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing when you're not around or something. <laughs> and we do have a lot of tree bark out where I live, you know. Soft stuff, redwood, it's real, you know. Thick bark, it's good for the winter. Out there, we wear it out there, but not when we go in the public. So, it's the spirit of it. And then to catch that, of course, we're going to need good association so we can be careful that we don't throw the spirit away in the name of that kind of uh, thinking, uh, using discrimination, using your spiritual intelligence.